Bibles, like I said, to Hebrews chapter 13. We're in a sermon series on the book of Hebrews, learning about what Jesus commanded us through the Israelite fulfillment of prophecy. Do I see an old familiar friend sitting right here? What's going on, my bro? Let's give it up for Sid sitting up here, man. God bless you. Good to have you here. You went to our Bible college, and I see you come bearing gifts, man, family and everything. Good to see you guys. Uh, as we look at Hebrews, we see God teaching us through the lessons of the Israelite people. We've been taking second service to go through all of these passages. Now we are at the last chapter in the last verses. So if you missed any of this, maybe you're like my brother Sid right here that's been gone for years doing what God called him to do. Check out our app. Go to the website. Look at the YouTube. And you can start all the way from chapter 1, verse 1. So look with me now to chapter 13, verse 9. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, if you're not, say, hold up. Because I'm going to be, be slow today because I don't have the karaoke. It's so funny because I feel like first service broke the karaoke. I literally had everything possibly going on at the same time, and now we broke it. And, and that computer does the lights, and it does the karaoke, so they're connected together. But what I want to do is I want you to take your time, look at verse 9, and instead of reading the whole passage today that I'll be preaching on, I'm just going to go verse by verse. Because if I try to read verses 9 to 19, that section, and then come back and do it verse by verse, I think we would forget what we had read towards the end. And I'm not even sure if I can get all the way to verse 19. So let's start in verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Now at this time, the Israelite people were coming into Christianity, and Christianity was telling them that they didn't have to, have to keep the Jewish dietary laws anymore. How many like bacon? Okay, so that's a good thing. Okay, you can eat lechon, you can eat pork, you can eat sausage, you know, bacon, all of these things. Oh, let there be light. Come on, let's give it up for Andrew in the back. Okay, then turn off this, uh, yeah, ah, uh, everybody go, ah, uh, feels so much more like home now. Those lights were weird. Those are weird lights. How many like these lights better? It makes the vibe feel so much cooler, you know? But we would have done it. I'll do it. I'll do it outside, man. Let's go. Uh, but this is, this is like home for me. And you know what, dude? They're not very expensive. H-U-E. I get no money from them, so I don't have an Amazon page to sell it. But H-U-E, Hue Lights, we have them in the crib. All you got to do is program them to your phone, and you can do this at home. Anybody have smart lights at home? I'm a couple of us. Okay, me and you, dude. Young Shina, you get it. And it's like, it's like when you just come to the crib and you just put on normal lights, it almost feels like an office now. It's like, oh, I like to have the purple lights on, the glowy lights. I don't know. Just, they just feel right when you're at the house chilling. And they're not expensive. Don't be like, oh, yeah, Pastor, I wish I had a house like that. No, they're like $10, right? Like you just screw them in $10. You get a little hub. It's like 50 bucks, And then you program it into your phone, and you just go, whoop, whoop. And then you just have all these different colors. Okay, anyways, I'm so happy about that. I got to read this again now because literally the lights had nothing to do with this. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. Everybody say strange teachings. Amen. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by what? 
grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to you. So let's imagine right now, I put a dietary law on you, and I said, okay, don't eat bacon anymore. You can't eat shellfish. You can't eat any of the things that you've been eating that maybe come from your culture. Do you think me just telling you not to eat bacon is going to make you feel better about Jesus and yourself and all of that? No. You see, even in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people who had laws connected to their ceremonies, when they kept those dietary laws, there was no inward change. You see, the Israelite people were given cultural laws to obey, laws with diet, laws with dress, laws that they had to keep, and those laws did not change their hearts. So, for example, they could not mix certain cloths together in their clothes. Do you think wearing a certain cloth makes you feel more spiritual? Do you think if you're hurting on the inside, you're addicted to alcohol, you know, they had alcoholics back then, do you think wearing the right cloth is going to get you free from that? No, but why did God do it? Did it have a purpose? Yes, because every culture has its dress code. Every culture has its diet. I look around here today, no one's wearing a sari, and I've been to India three times. A sari is a very popular dress for the women there, you know. That's popular for them. Probably no one here today is eating with their hands. Most people use utensils. Once again, in India, they use your hands, and how many are thankful for toilet paper? In other cultures, they don't use toilet paper, okay? And it's funny, because some are actually happy not to have toilet paper. They're like, no, I like the running water better, Pastor. That's what I like better. It's water. It's water. But listen, you know, the, the idea is we are, oh, we got the screen. Let's give it up for the, Andrew. You made my day. You get a bonus, gift cards, lunch on us today. How many think lunch should be on us? And I'm not talking about just a taqueria. I'm talking like the real nice place. Like go somewhere really nice, uh, uh, like a sophisticated taqueria. Go to the, uh, don't, go to TV, don't go to Taco Burrito King. Go to like, you know, there's this one by us. I can't remember the name of it, Nancy. Maggi, not Maggio's, but what's the one that we like? They come out with the guacamole cart, and then they make it in front of you. Have you guys ever seen a guacamole cart? Oh, you know you fancy when you go to a place and they have the guacamole cart. What's that place called? Whatever one we go to, look it up for me just so I can shout out. That's where you should go today, by the way. Go to the guacamole cart. You, your family, be blessed. I feel I'm at home now. How many feel good about it now? We would have been okay. We would have made it. We're tough. We're tough Chicagoans. But everyone, think about this. The heart does not get strengthened by eating certain foods. The heart gets strengthened by grace. Simply putting on cloths, simply uh, eating a certain thing does not change your heart. But why did they do it? That was their culture. When they ate the way they ate, when they dressed the way they dressed, what did that remind them of? I'm not like everybody else. I belong to Jesus. How many know if you were brought up among the Amish, if you were brought up among the Amish and you could only wear the clothes that they make and you could only eat the things that they grow, how many know every day you're going to get a, a lesson that you're Amish? You're not going to forget it. You're going to remember, I'm Amish when you're putting on your overhauls. You're going to remember, I'm Amish when I'm putting on my black jacket, you know, and I'm riding a horse and buggy and then a horse passes you by. How many know you're going to know you're Amish? See, I grew up around the Amish in Fort Wayne, Indiana, literally just a bike ride from my neighborhood the Amish hung out at, and they ate their own food, churned their own butter, man. They could still go to the grocery store if they wanted, but they, they shunned electricity, okay, and they made their own clothes and did all that. That was a reminder to them. So Paul is saying to us, because I believe he's the author of Hebrews, Paul is saying to us, don't get carried away by a strange teaching to think that your heart needs these ceremonial foods so that you now can be 
benefited in your spiritual walk. Those things do not benefit you. Highlight grace for me, brother, if I could be so uh, bold to ask. And it works, yes. Uh, We are strengthened in our hearts, not by foods, but by what? Everybody say grace. See, grace is what makes the difference. Now, let me just say this. That should be obvious, but in our culture, you know that this is becoming popular to go back to the Jewish laws now. Have you ever heard of the black Hebrew Israelites? Has anybody ever heard of the Jewish Roots Movement? You see, it's coming back in our culture right now to go back to these laws and to try to live this way, and then they put that bondage on everybody else. And the thing about it is they can't even follow these laws to a T because the ceremonial foods, guess what they need? A temple. And if you don't have the temple, you're not doing the right sacrifices. And then they say, oh, but Jesus is my sacrifice. Oh, so it's like, well, Jesus can change how you do these things, but Jesus can't change how you do those things, and then they tell us we pick and choose. They'll make fun of pastors and be like, your pastor loves the Old Testament when it comes to tithing, but he doesn't keep the dietary laws. He's unclean. You know, but here's the thing. The only reason why we take some things out of the Old Testament and apply them to the new and not other things is because of this amazing person called Jesus. Have you ever heard of Jesus? How many love that person named Jesus? The God-man. Hallelujah. Well, go to Mark 7, 19. This is where Jesus tells us about dietary food. Jesus taught us to still give to our church, to his church, to our our local assembly. Jesus taught us to still keep the moral laws. Because this is why, before I read this right here, uh, it's, it's the same argument, but on different sides of the stick. Here is the stick that people want to hit you on. You're not living by the Old Testament. There are two people who will use that stick. On one side, it will be the Jewish roots movement, the Hebrew Israelites, etc. They'll say, you're not keeping these laws. Let me beat you on the head. On the other side, it's the homosexual community because they're going to say, you go to Leviticus and say, a man shall not lie with a man as he does a woman, but you eat pork, and it says not to do that. How many know they try to find a contradiction there? Okay, so it's the same stick. They're just using it on different sides. One is actually saying, yeah, we'll stone you behind. Like if you talk to a Hebrew roots movement person, a true black Hebrew Israelite, they'll be like, yeah, we'll stone a homosexual. That's what they want to do because they want to try to keep that as much as they can. They'll say right now we can't because we're not in charge, but once we're in charge, we'll implement as much as we can, okay? But on the other side, the LGBT person, they really don't want us to stone them. They're not saying go back to the Old Testament and keep it and then now stone us. What they're trying to say is, you're not consistent. Both groups are trying to say we're not consistent. How many hear what I'm talking about? The one who's trying to keep it will point to you and say, why do you pick and choose? The LGBT person who doesn't want us to keep it but sees that we use some from the Old Testament but not all will say, why do you pick and choose? How many understand both will say to you, why do you pick and choose? And then why do we pick and choose? Because of Jesus. Jesus told us what carries over from the old into the new. Not everything does. He fulfills everything of the old, makes a new covenant. Somebody say new covenant. In the new covenant, he can make whatever rules he wants. Now, in the new covenant, are there rules about dress? Not according to the cloth, but according to purity and chastity and looking good. Can I hear an amen? Is there rules about diet? No, but it's pray and bless your food. Is there rules about how you should act as a uh, sexual person? Are there sexual laws? Yeah, there are. 
There are sexual laws. You see, now when we go back and forth and we look at the old and discern in the new, Jesus stands right there in between and tells you how to do that. Now let's look to the food argument. Everybody here who likes bacon should be paying attention, okay? Let's go up just a few verses so they can see the context, please. Jesus was getting into an argument with the Jews. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable because he was teaching the Jews they could really eat whatever they wanted in the new covenant because it really was never about food even in the old covenant. Now the disciples are confused and they go, man, tell us about this. And then Jesus says, why are you guys so stupid? Why are you so foolish? Why are you so dull? So don't tell me that Jesus was always just the kind of uh, Barney pastor or Barney person you see or Oprah. How many know Jesus was a little sassy right here? Why are you so what? Doll, he's upset with them because they didn't understand what he had already said. He said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can what? Defile them, for it doesn't go into where? Their heart, but into their what? Their stomach, and then out through their, their body. How many are glad you just said body there? We all get the rest. In saying this, Jesus declared how many foods clean? All foods clean. So now do you know why in the Christian church we do not keep the Jewish law? Does everybody get it? Amen. Amen if you get it. Right there is why you can eat bacon. Because Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from where? Inside and defile a person. So now what does a Hebrew roots person have to do? They have to get us to change what Jesus said. Jesus said that all foods are clean. Jesus said that only that which comes out of the heart defiles you, not what comes in. Now somebody might be like, oh, man, that's so awesome, Pastor, because I want to put a lot of weed on the inside because if it won't defile me, I want to get high. Now, why would we not do drugs? Because of other scriptures that tell us not to do drugs. The context here is about food. Oh, man, but I can get an edible, Pastor. Okay, for them, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 because I know nobody here messes with edibles, right? Oh, it gets quiet when I talk like this. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We'll tell you why we don't do drugs for recreation. He gave us every weed and every seed-bearing plant, Pastor. Isn't that what it says in, in Genesis? Yeah, he gave you heroin, too. Are you going to start doing that? He also gave you poisonous stuff, too. Are you going to start doing that? Why are drugs that change our sober mind on this earth? They're here to be used as medicine, not to take a magic trip on the, uh, a magic, trip on the magic ship, okay? Does everybody get that? How many know if you're in a lot of pain, you want the strongest thing that they got? You're okay if you're a little bit loopy as long as the pain is gone. But how many know to be loopy on purpose and not have any pain, that's the problem? Does everybody get that? So getting high is like getting drunk. You can't do marijuana in moderation. If you're high, you're already the equivalent of being drunk, and the Bible tells us to avoid drunkenness. Now, in Galatians 5.19, it actually lists drug use, but it calls it something else, and that's why it's even more dangerous than what people think. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and what? 
Witchcraft. Brother, go ahead and hit that Greek word, uh, the Greek thing for us, please. I want you to see what the word for witchcraft is in the Greek, and hopefully we won't break it today. What is this word right here? Just sound it out the best you can. Pharmakeia. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. Oh, yeah, you're smart, class. Come on now. And what is pharmacy? What does that word mean? Drugs. What does the Bible call recreational use of drugs? Witchcraft. Because when you get high and your brain is not sober, what is it being influenced by? The devil. It's pretty simple, folks. Drugs that change the mind were not, oh, we lost it now. Oh, well, it was good while it lasts. Hopefully these lights will hold up. Amen. How many know that drugs serve a purpose, but if you abuse it, they're not being used anymore according to their purpose? Okay? I use a perfect example here with my wife. My wife has never done drugs recreationally. But we were in a bad car accident that broke her ankle, brought her to the emergency room, and she needed to be given pain pills. She then had to have those pain pills until the surgery and a little bit afterwards, if I'm right. But here's the thing. The doctor said, be careful, because once your pain goes away and your body heals, the drugs will start affecting you differently. And she felt it, didn't you, boo? And she started saying, I don't like the way I feel now. And that should be all of us. We should understand what it's a jo the joy and the blessing to be of a sober mind. And if something changes that, we shouldn't be okay with that. Amen? Now, why do people not like keeping a sober mind? Because they don't like the mind that they have right now. So I got a better solution than getting high off your own supply. Let Jesus Christ renew and change your mind and give you an awesome life. Then by default, you're enjoying life. How many former drug addicts and alcoholics and partiers do I have here that can relate to that? Okay, amen. Thank you for not being ashamed to tell your testimony in church. The moment Jesus Christ came into my life, I'm being 100 with you right now, I was like, "Woo! this feels good. And I then realized that what I was trying to chase was that feeling that God gave me naturally. That feeling that God will give you naturally, you don't have to get from a plant and you don't have to get from a drug or from abusing alcohol. I say get high on the most high. Amen? Give Jesus a try. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you, my brother. You could take off the Greek there because this is what people want to say back when they, when they hear us say, well, they can, you know, eat and drink whatever they want. The Bible's clear. It then goes on to say you can't have drunkenness. Look at it. So no witchcraft, no um, recreational use of drugs, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and what? Drunkenness. Now notice that. Once you get high, it's the equivalent of drunk. See, some medications don't do anything to your mind, so that's not the same thing as getting high. But once you know you're high, you're no longer in a sober mind, and that's what drunkenness is. So drunkenness is wrong for the same reason recreational drug use is wrong. Now, medications should help you without making you high. And if you're on medications that make you high, we need to pray for you to keep that sober mind even while you're high and fight against that because you might make some decisions you regret according to those drugs that they got you on. And sometimes people use it as an excuse, and I'm not here to be your judge in that way. I'm just saying, like, be careful because those things can change your mind. And, it, and I would even say, I'm not your doctor, but I would say, talk to your doctor to see if you can be on medication that keeps you sober. Once again, how many like being sober? Amen. But notice what comes after drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, when I used to read this word orgies uh, back in my day, you know, this is about 35 years ago coming up in Christianity, I would get embarrassed. I would be like, man, who does that? That's crazy. That's Roman society, man. Those people were nuts back then. But now how many know we got to talk about that? We got to talk about that because people are now in throuples. They're, uh, they're, you know, looking for hookups, just living all kinds of wild life. And the Bible says that's nothing new. So we avoid all of this. And sometimes people say, well, it's just my body. It's just my body. But the Bible says what you do to your body also affects your spirit when it comes to sexual intimacy. See, food does not open up your soul, but sex will open up your soul. And the Bible says to whoever you unite your body to, you become one with them in spirit. That's why it says the two shall become what? One. Well, that happens whether you're married or not. And so people talk about soul ties and, and these ideas, and I don't necessarily go down every trail that people take on that, but there's a lot of truth to whoever you sleep with, you're going to be influenced by their spirit. And if you're not married to the right person and you separate separate from them. It's like taking water and pop, mixing it, and then trying to separate both of them back into their cups, and you can't do it. You're going to walk away with something impure in you to the next relationship, to the next relationship, and that's why if you see about how people are in relationships, they're sometimes mentally the most distraught people because they're not content with being in one relationship. Can I hear an amen? And the Bible talks about that. So you notice all the boundaries that we're getting here. Let's go back to Hebrews, please, in the notes. Notice the boundaries that we're getting. Don't look to ceremonial foods, but look to God's what? His grace. Somebody say grace. Because the ceremonial foods won't benefit you, but God's grace will. Now go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, please. Colossians is going to teach you another way to look at all the things that God had did in the past. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you what? Drink. Now that's in moderation because he already told you you can't get drunk. Amen? Amen. Or with regard to a religious festival. So now notice, to add on to what we learned in Hebrews, that not only should you avoid trying to eat things to be more spiritual, you should avoid trying to do religious festivals to be spiritual. So whether it's Christmas or whether it's an Old Testament uh, new moon celebration or a Sabbath day, you and I should not look to a celebration to be what completes us spiritually. It's not the food. It's not the dress. It's not the Christmas. It's not the church service. What's going to do it is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Amen. So you got some ammo right here to bring to the Jewish roots people and say, look, Jesus declared all food clean. And then Paul said right here, don't look to ceremonial food. And then also in Colossians, he said, don't look to new moon celebrations or Sabbaths. Verse 17, and we've talked about this in Hebrews already, but it's good to repeat it. These are shadows of things that were to come. The reality is found in where? Christ. And as I said before, what would you rather have, my phone or the shadow of my phone? So would you rather have the Sabbath or Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath? Would you rather have the Jewish dietary law or Jesus be your bread and your wine, the living word, amen, and his spirit? What would you rather have, the, uh, the dress code or the holiness of God in your spirit? You see, if you have it on the inside, it's going to come on the outside. Jesus is the reality. Once again, going back to the notes, please, my brother, you're doing awesome there. The Bible teaches us that it's not 
these customs. It's not these ways of doing things that strengthen our heart. And notice that it calls it strange teachings. Because now in the new covenant, it's actually strange to do this. So I don't know if you've met somebody from these groups, but it's strange. Like we've heard a story of a woman saying a man brought home another woman to the wife and said, I believe in polygamy now. I want you to get along with that. How many know that's strange? She just needs to say, hey, if that's what you believe in, you only going to have one because I'm leaving. How many think that's the right move to make? I mean, could you imagine that me showing up at home, you know, with another woman going, honey, I believe in polygamy now because David did it back then or Abraham. And by the way, it was never blessed by God unless the brother had died and the man needed to carry on the family line. So in every other time you see it, David, Abraham, Solomon, of course, all of those wives led to sin and it was perversion. It was not blessed by God. Abraham having sex with Hagar was not blessed. Can I hear an amen to that? David having sex with those women was not blessed. He became a murderer to have Uriah's wife. Can I hear an amen to that? And Solomon, I don't even know if I'm going to see him in heaven. Solomon was a great big backslider by the end of his life, wrote the uh, Ecclesiastes to show us what it looks like when you lose everything you got, okay? So let's not look to the polygamous examples of the Bible and say, well, let's try to give this, let's give this a try now. No, there was only one sanction in the Bible for polygamy, and that was if a brother, you know, men, uh, guys got brothers, and his brother dies, and the wife doesn't have any children with the brother, he could lay with her so that the family name could be on. But he wasn't supposed to be looking for three and four wives. But once again, trying to implement that now, everybody go, that's strange. Talking about dietary laws, that's what? Strange. Talking about let's just go to church on Saturday, the Sabbath, that's what? Strange. You all get the point? Paul said it. That's strange. Don't try to live your life by the Old Testament laws that don't apply to you. And once again, the moment they try to do, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but the moment they try to do it, Paul said elsewhere, if you don't keep all of it, you can't keep none of it. So the moment they say, I'm trying to keep some of it, it's strange because there's no temple, there's no priesthood, there's no Levitical order, and all of these other things that they need. So in this church, thank God, I've never heard of anybody backsliding into those movements. And you know why I believe it is? It's because you've gotten inoculated to the truth. That's why in our church, if we see a backslider every now and then, if they just go back to the world and live like the devil, but I don't see them join Islam, uh, Moronism, I mean Mormonism, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, Scientology. Hebrew Roots Movement, because I think if you come to a good teaching church long enough, you learn to avoid those things. Amen? Praise God. Let's keep going. The Bible says, we, verse 10, have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. When was the Jewish temple destroyed in history? Anybody remember, Bible college students? When was it destroyed in history? What year? You forgot? Okay. Who remembers? Try to look it up if anybody wants to see if anybody's got it. Y'all should know this. Come on. Nancy, can you grab me some water, please? Oh, never mind. I got some in my bag. Come on. Look it up, guys. I want you to uh, learn how to be Bible students. When did the Jewish temple get destroyed? What's your? 586 B.C. was when it got first destroyed by the Babylonians. I should be specific then. When did it get destroyed in the uh, New Testament? 70 A.D. Let's give it up for my wife finding it. 70 A.D. When is the latest that the book of Hebrews could be written then? What is the latest period that this book you're reading right now could have been written? 70 A.D. 
Why is that? He says, in the present, present tense, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. If the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD, how many know this must have been written beforehand, could not be written later? Everybody tracking with me? How many brought their brain to church today? I just brought my heart and I just want to feel Jesus. How many brought their brain? Let's just think about it again. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. If a man is saying, I can see people ministering at a tabernacle, when is the latest his letter could have been written? 70 AD. So why is that important? Because we are learning from one of the earliest times in Christian history. People who try to tell you the Bible was written by men and we shouldn't trust it. What do you say back to them? What should books be written by? Elephants? So men write books, right? That's the first thing you say to them. Do you want our book to be written by the angel Gabriel? What are we talking about here? People write books. That's what the books I read, okay? The second thing you say to them is, yes, they were written by human beings at the time of Jesus and at the earliest point of the Jewish history there in Rome. The Jewish people are still there at 70 AD and beforehand, obviously, ministering at the temple. Jesus raised up his disciples, sent them out to preach. This is during that time. And why is it important then to understand this? Is because imagine this now. You're a Christian. More than likely, if you're reading the book of Hebrews, that means you're a Jewish Christian. And you're looking at all that's going on at the temple. And you're like, why aren't we doing that? How many think that would be kind of a question you would have, right? If you're a Jewish person, you're a Christian, why don't you go there? How many get in? Like, that's a big deal. Like, why don't I go to the temple and offer a sacrifice? I mean, I believe in the Messiah. I believe in Jesus. But doesn't Jesus still want me to go over there and make a sacrifice? Because isn't that what he commanded? That's the confusion that they would be facing at that time. What would be the answer? Exactly what the whole book has been about. Literally, the whole book of Hebrews from chapter 1 all the way up into this point has taught us why we don't need to go there anymore. And what he then says to them is what they even have is soon and passing away. It's not going to be there very long. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 just so you can see and review some of the things that we've already talked about. How many remember Hebrews chapter 4 and don't lie? How many actually remember it? Anybody? How many of you think you were were here, but you kind of forgot? Okay, I still love you. I'm not going to say I remember all the details of it, but I do remember going through this and teaching it to you guys. That's kind of the the bad side of when you take a long uh, sermon series here. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1, please. Notice this, that what he says to them here, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, is about understanding how everything had, be, had to be done the way God prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. But that wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning. Everybody say the introduction. Come on, say it again. Introduction. 
Thank you. Notice this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still remains, let us be careful that none be fall, uh, found to be, have fallen short of it. For we also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. This is talking about the Old Testament folks. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed and entered the rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, hold your place right there and go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Just in summary, just in summary, go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. In the Old Testament, did the majority of them listen and obey? According to what we just read there. No, they didn't obey. They didn't believe. They disobeyed God. And because of that, they didn't get the blessings of the covenant. Now, does that mean nobody got the blessings? No, Joshua got the blessings. There were righteous people all throughout that. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in the matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. So if you didn't follow the first covenant and you lived in the Old Testament, you go to the priest make your sacrifices, since he himself is subject to weakness. And the priest was like you, a person that could understand you had, you know, sinned because they had made their mistakes. Verse 3, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when God has called him just as Aaron was. In the same way, everybody saying the same way. Christ did not take on the glory himself of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then now it tells the story of Jesus. So is Jesus a priest? Yes. Is he a high priest? Absolutely. And here's a trick question to see if you're paying attention. Is he a priest in the order of Aaron? No, he doesn't come from Aaron's lineage. He comes from who? Melchizedek. Now notice this as we continue to go through these passages. Go through uh, with me now the Hebrews chapter 6. Go to Hebrews chapter 6 just quickly in review. Somebody say review. Thank you. Go to Hebrews chapter 6 right at the beginning here. Therefore, let us now move beyond the elementary teachings of who? Of Christ and look forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. Now notice this. Everything I'm talking to you about right now, the book of Hebrews literally calls the elementary teachings of Christ. But sadly, I want you guys to get this, many of you here are bored, let's be honest, you're bored, and you still don't get what in the world I'm talking about today. Somehow, you think to yourself, I as a pastor have to do a better job of helping you in your marriage, tell you to be a better neighbor to your, your, your community, and teach you maybe how to be nice and do some charitable acts. That would be better than what I've explained to you. And yet, for those who think that way, the Bible says you're still in elementary school. And this is the problem of our Christian culture. Most of you don't know why you can wear what you wear and not keep the Jewish law. Most of you don't know why Jesus' blood is what cleanses you and you don't need to go to a temple. Most of you don't know why you don't keep the Sabbath, but you still believe homosexuality is a sin. Many of you here do not understand how Jesus is a high priest, not in Aaron's uh, order, but in Melchizedek's order. 
If you don't understand those things, I don't mean to to be disrespectful. This is my job. I get it. I get paid to do this. But you have to understand this because according to the author of Hebrews, he says if you don't get this, you are still in elementary school. Think about it. Because the whole Bible is based on this. The whole Bible fits together perfectly. If you just show up in the New Testament and you just listen to your pastor because he makes you or she makes you feel good, then you have missed the entire point of this Bible. Why is he called the Messiah? Why did he have to be born into a house of David? Why did he need to die? Why did he have to rise? Why does Jesus still in heaven have flesh? These are all the doctrines of the Bible. Why is it we don't have to wash and cleanse ourselves before we come to church like Muslims still do to this day before they pray? Why is it that each one of us here can decide in our own conscience if we're going to be vegetarians, if we're going to eat meat or uh, drink alcohol? Why are these things according to our conscience? Please go to Romans 14. All of this, the Bible says, is elementary teachings. And yet the problem is most Christians don't get this. And now watch, when the cults come along and they try to convince them of something else, it becomes intriguing to them. The reason why I'm mentioning the Hebrew cults and the black Hebrew Israelites is because it's growing. The fastest growing church in the black community right now is not the Baptists. It's the black Hebrew Israelites. Entire Churches in the black community are now becoming black Hebrew Israelite churches. And you'll see them downtown being obnoxious many times, but they're convincing churches, Christians, leaders to do this, the Latinos as well. And then the Hebrew roots movement is mostly Anglo people who look like granolas, fruit, nuts, and flaky, you know. Uh, But they're thinking that they got to be closer to God by keeping the rituals of the Old Testament. And you'll literally see white people go camping, calling it the Feast of Booze. Are you all listening to me? I said, are you listening to me? It's catching on in our culture. The person who brought home the the woman, the polygamist man, found it online, and he was convinced of it. Well, why didn't he understand the teachings of Christ? Because probably no pastor even understood it. I teach in Bible colleges, and and I do have pastors that come, and I'm just saying this with all grace and humility. Oftentimes, they don't even understand why they do what they do. You know, why is an orgy wrong? Why is homosexuality wrong? Why can't you have more than one wife? You know, you, you just can't take it at face value and say, God, you gave me this in your word, but I don't know if I really need it because that's kind of boring, nerdy stuff. No, you need to understand why uh, there's 39 books in your Bible called the Old Testament. In that, new, uh, in that Old Testament, you need then to understand why 27 books never contradicted but only confirm it. I'm not saying we have to be experts in every area. of. I mean, come on, I'm not a know-it-all. But how many understand what I'm saying about studying the Scriptures to show yourself approved? You have to study them. If you don't, you'll be elementary in your beliefs. Look at what it says in Romans 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You see, the Bible doesn't say you can't judge in general, but the Bible says you can't judge about disputable matters. Everybody say disputable matters. Amen. So let's take, for example, let's say you like to eat dog. The Bible says you can't, my daughter almost puked right there. You can't, you can't judge somebody who likes to eat dog. Why can't they eat dog? Didn't the Bible say that he gave all of this for food unto us? 
So why can't I eat dog? I could eat dog if I want. Well, my you know, country is against the law. But a person who eats dog and another one who doesn't, you know, you could see people fighting over this. And the Bible literally says they can eat whatever they want and keep it to themselves. The Bible is not giving us every little detail of our lives. Some of you here are not going to eat everything that I eat. I may not eat everything you eat. I may not like the same music you like. We may not like the same movies and all of those things. Everybody say disputable matters. Amen. But what we can agree on are the commands of God. And the commands of God we make judgments on. Please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Somebody say judgments. We make righteous judgments on. If you go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see that the judgments are about sin, not about our personal opinions. So when someone says, well, who are you to judge me? I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to make a judgment about your sin. I'm not supposed to make a judgment go all the way down to the end, my brother. Uh, Let's go to verse uh, 11, please. I'm not supposed to make a judgment about whether or not, let's say a woman wears shorts, a skirt, a dress, or pants. I'm not supposed to make an argument about that or to get into a discussion. Or if a young person likes to play, uh, you know, um, what is that, Roblox? You guys, my kids play Roblox? Is that what it's called, Lucas? Y'all got quiet now in church. Don't get quiet, Lucas. You play Roblox? And what's the other one? that they build little lives in Minecraft. Oh, I like Roblox. I like Minecraft. And one says, I play Call of Duty. We're not supposed to argue about that, right? But it should be obvious if you play a game where you can rape and murder somebody, that's the wrong thing, right? And you don't need to see any hands here, but if anybody's playing, you know, GTA, Grand Theft Auto, you know, you need to repent, especially if you're doing the bad things. I play Grand Theft Auto so I can pimp slap somebody, so I can beat up a cop. No, that's not, that's not a video game you should play. How many know that's obvious? If you're playing a video game and you're beating up a cop and raping somebody, that's, that shows you what's in your heart. Because I don't find entertainment in beating up people that are innocent and then robbing and stealing them. Okay? So everybody say sins equal judgments. Disputable matters equals grace. You see, that's what he's teaching us here. Now notice this, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with anyone that's sexually immoral. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, but the, uh, the, greedy, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So in other words, hey, man, if the world's going to be crazy, let them be crazy. But look at verse 11. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or what? Sister and who is what? Sexually immoral. Come on, say the list with me. Or greedy or what? An idolater or what? Slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler do not even eat with such people. Did I make that up? No, that's in the Bible. So I do judge you over these things, don't I? And then look at what it says, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So it's not my job to go out there and try to be the police. I'm not the police. The police's job is to do that. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. How many know if most people in the church did this, they would lose the whole worship team? They would lose almost all their staff? They're like, oh, nobody's perfect. We, we allow them to keep serving and doing all that. That's why I never have a problem with empty chairs as long as I know I'm in the will of God. Because I never want to fill up chairs with wicked people who want to ease their conscience on a Sunday morning. This is a holy place. Amen? We will judge you in this place. If you don't want to repent of your sins, find another church. But here, if you're in sin and we call you on it, repent of it, starting with me. You find me in sin, call me on it. If I don't repent, find another church. Amen? This is a place for people who want to be holy. 
It's like going to a gym and then them selling tacos in the gym. It's like, man, that's not my gym, okay? I mean, I know it's cool that you're trying to do that, but I want to go to a place where I get in shape right here. You know, because I went out with this brother the other day. I had three tacos, and I was still hungry. I was eating my daughter's taco and all that. That's not what I need in a gym. I don't need four more tacos, okay? If you're selling pizza in my gym and it comes normal like that, I'm not, I'm not going to that. That's too much temptation. Can I hear an amen? I don't want my children growing up around immoral people. I don't want them to meet you and your girlfriend that you've been living with for three years still engaged. That's not what I want my children to see in this church. Amen? I want to see people living for God. Now, you may say, Pastor, well, I've sinned since being in your church. It's okay as long as you repent and don't stay in your sin. You tell us you sin, you're good. Hey, man, I'm not doing that. That's not what I want to do. I, I repent. Then you're all good. But if you want to stay in porn, you want to stay in alcoholism, you want to stay in drugs, you want to stay being greedy and a swindler, there's 10 churches down the road that don't care and don't, don't know, don't care, you can go there. But we want to know and we care here. Amen? You couldn't follow Jesus and live however you wanted, in other words. Now, going back to our notes, please. Notice how this works. Paul is teaching them. This is not about food. It's about grace. Somebody say grace. That's important. And then he says... We have an altar that those who are at the tabernacle, they don't have a right to eat. You see, those priests would get their food from the sacrifices. And yet, Paul says, when we come to our altar, those priests can't eat here. What are we eating at our altar? The Word of God. The, blood and, uh, the, the flesh and blood of Jesus. Go to John 6, 43. Now, before you think I'm turning Roman Catholic... I want to explain to you what they got wrong about that. There's something right that they have that most Protestants don't have. In other words, there's a good part about what the Roman Catholics and Orthodox chiefs teach that's better than us Protestants. There's something good. Somebody say good. But it's not all good. So we got a little bit we got to learn from them, and then they've got to learn a little bit from us. The part that they have right is that communion is serious. A lot of people in church take communion, and they're not living right. The part where they have wrong is that it turns into the literal body and blood of Jesus, and they got to feed it to you like a mama bird feeds a baby bird. That's what they have wrong. But what do they have right about communion? You better take serious what Jesus did to offer his body and his blood to you. Amen? How many, when you take communion, we'll be taking it the first of the month next week, Lord willing. How many, when you take it, you reflect upon what Jesus has done for you? How many are grateful for the body and blood of Jesus? How many know that without that, there would be no salvation, right? And so the Jewish people, think about this, of the time of the writing of Hebrews, they're going to their altar, and it looks amazing because they're still at a temple that exists, and, and they're you know, putting out these sacrifices, and then they're eating off of it. And then Paul says, hey, guys, don't get jealous of what they're doing over there because you don't go over there anymore. Understand that you have an altar, and you're eating something, and they have no right to touch what you're eating. Isn't that amazing? What we as Christians have, nobody has a right to get to unless they come the same way we do through Jesus Christ. Did you ever think of it like that? Come on, think about the privilege you and I have to come to Jesus Christ. Hindus don't have that. Can a Hindu receive that? Absolutely. A Hindu can receive Christ as I have. But is Christ eating from the word of God, being nourished on the body and blood of Jesus today as you and I are? No. They don't have a right to come and receive it. That's why he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He wasn't doing that to be mean. He was telling them the truth. 
If I tell you there is no way into my house except through the front door, how many know you can try the window, but it's not going to go well for you? You can try Hinduism if you want, but it's not going to go well for you. You can try Islam if you want, but it's not going to go good for you. You can try Buddhism if you want, but it's not going to go good for you. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the door. Whoever comes through me will find pasture. Anybody else who tries to come another way is a thief and a robber. How many remember Jesus talking like this? It's in the same book of John. And here he's telling this to the Jews, and they start grumbling, and they're getting upset. And even some of the disciples are getting upset. And he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and has learned from him comes to Jesus. How many have learned from the Father to come to Jesus? This is a great passage of Scripture. It talks about predestination. There's a difference between us as, as um, Arminians versus Calvinists, which is basically the idea of does God make the only decision in salvation or do we cooperate in the decision? One is called monergism, monoenergy, monogism, monergism, and that teaches that only God makes a decision. And when he draws, there is no resisting. They learn their doctrine through T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, unlimited uh, grace, uh, irres- um, unlimited, um, uh, excuse me, um, let me go to Tulip for you. I want to give it to you. I have all that limited atonement, irresistible grace, and preservation of the saints, but I want to give you the U. Lord, help me. Let me get it here for you. Unconditional election. Thank you. This is how the Calvinists will explain it to you. God draws you because you are so depraved you can't make a choice. You will then have unconditional election, which means you will be elected by God, and it wasn't because of anything you've done. L is limited atonement, which means he only died for the elect. Think about that. Jesus only died on the cross for those he would save. Everybody else is going to hell, and they're doomed from the womb. That's what John Calvin said, the author of this. And then I, irresistible grace, which means once God decides to call you, you can't resist it. And then P stands for preservation of the saints. Once you're saved, you'll always be saved. Now, we are Arminian, and we resist those things, and we disagree with it. How many believe you have a choice in salvation? How many believe it wasn't just irresistible, but you could have said no? See, I believe that, brothers and sisters, and it makes a difference. Why does it matter right here? Because you're not just going to heaven because God forced you to go there. We believe in roses as opposed to tulip. What does the R stand for? Radical depravity. Yes, we agree that we're born sinners, but O gives us overcoming grace. S is his sovereign election based on our choice. E is eternal life, and it's always there as long as we want it. And then C is singular redemption. He dies for everybody, but those who receive it are the ones who get it. How many think that sounds a little bit better than limited atonement through tulip and irresistible grace and unconditional election? Well, why is that important? Look at what it says here. The Father draws them. Where do we agree with them? Without the Father, I cannot be a Christian. How many agree with that? But now look at verse 46. No one who has ever seen the Father, no one has ever seen the Father except the one who has come from God. Only he has seen the Father. That's Jesus. Verse 47, very truly I tell you, the one who what in me? Believes has eternal life. So does that require you to do something? Yes. It's not a work, but it requires you to do something. Here's how faith is. Faith is a belief that ends in a work. It is not a work to believe, but it leads to a work. Do you all get it? Think about it. The faith itself is not the work. So like right here, I'm going to believe in my wife's love. You all ready for me to do it? I'm going to believe in it right now. You all ready? I'm going to believe in my wife's love. I believe in it. 
I believe in it. There we go. I believe. Right now, I believe. Did you see any works? No. But because I believe, what am I going to do? Come on up here, boobster boo. Let's give it up for the pastor's wife as she comes. Hide your wife. Hide your kids if you don't want to see the pastor kiss right now. I'm going to put in some work. See, I had a belief, but then I put in work. That's why we also have six kids. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so I have a belief. So everybody go, I believe in God. Come on, say, I believe in God. Okay, now I got to see your works. Do you see how that works? Faith without works is dead, but faith is not a work. And so what does the Bible teach us? The Father draws us. It's the Father that initiates salvation. He's died on the cross for the whole world, the Bible says, not limited atonement. But then what must we do? We must believe. And then out of our belief, we have to put in work, obey, follow Jesus. He said, I am the bread of what? The bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Calvinists say it's limited atonement. That means when Jesus was speaking this, he couldn't have been speaking it to everybody. It's only those God had foreordained to choose to save. So in other words, there are people hearing that I can come and eat, but I really can't. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. If I said to you in this service, everyone here can come to my house and eat today. Let's have a barbecue. How many know it would be very rude of me if one of you came to my house and I said, er, not you? How many know that would be a problem? Jesus is not saying that here. How many believe Jesus loves everyone? It's very important to understand that because sometimes people will say things like a Calvinist and they didn't even know all the doctrine I gave you. They'll say things like this. Well, if God wants to save me, he'll save me then. You ever heard anybody talk like that? Or I'm not ready. When God wants me to be ready, he'll get me ready. Anybody hear that one? Or how about this? I can't stop doing what I'm doing, but if God is real, he'll help me to stop when it's time. Anybody hear that one? Does anybody have friends that are not saved? I'm telling you, almost all my unsaved friends talk like that, unless they don't believe in God. Unless they just fully on go, I don't believe in God. But no, you talk to someone who believes in God, and they don't live for God, what are they normally saying? It's not my time. When it's, when it's my time, God will do something. When I'm ready, God's going to help me. And they don't understand, it's their choice to come and eat right now. Think about it. Is anybody going to make you eat today the natural food that you're going to have after the service? No. And is anybody going to make you become a Christian? No, whoever has believed that, whether they studied the doctrine of Calvinism or just have it by superstition, anyone that thinks that they're waiting for God to do something may die as a sinner and have no excuse before God. Because God will say, look at you, you fool. I gave you all of, that I could possibly give you, and you kept waiting for me to give you more. Was not my invitation enough? And the Bible, will, he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, don't wait to get saved. The Bible says, get saved today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait to come to the table of the Lord and eat. Come right now and eat from the Lord. Amen? Here is the bread that comes from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And amen. And then all the Catholics got excited. All right, let's take communion now. Here it comes. Here's Father Tom. Nope, keep going. 
Because the Jews are going to argue right now, and they're going to say, man, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're literally going to think like the Roman Catholic who believes in transubstantiation, that the trans substance of the bread and the wine change to the blood and flesh of Jesus. It's not symbolic to them. That is the literal body and blood of Jesus. How many remember catechism, Catholics going by, remember hearing stuff like this? It's the literal body and blood of Jesus. That's what they believe in. Trans, when you hear the word transsexual, they want to change, change their sex, right? Listen to the word. Transubstantiation. Substance is in that word. Transubstance. They believe the substance is literally changing. And they have a way to explain why if you look at the, uh, the, the bread and wine under a microscope, why it literally looks like bread and wine. They believe in Aristotelian logic and the difference between accidents and, and substance, which is a different conversation. It's a philosophical position. But I want you to hear this. The Jewish people start thinking just like the Catholics. Well, all right, let's eat Jesus' body and blood then. And they'll even go so far, as I just heard a priest say the other day, you're not even just eating the body and blood of Jesus literally, but his soul is in the body and blood as you eat it. Talk about gross. Come on, somebody. I am not eating somebody's body and literally drinking their blood and consuming their soul. That is not biblical. How many get that? There's a reason why we weren't cannibals to begin with, and we're not cannibals now with Jesus. And here's how you can know this is not right. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. Didn't he do that? At the Last Supper, this is my body, and he holds up the bread. Did Jesus cut a piece of himself and go, this is my body? No, he's literally holding up the bread in its own substance, going, this is my body. And, and that's where you're supposed to go, ah, I get it now, Symbol symbolically. The body is symbolic. Just as if you and I went to one of the condo associations downtown today and we saw one of their models right there. And if I was buying one of the condos and you were my friend, I would point to where I would live and I'd go, that's my condo. Now, how many of you would look back at me and go, Joe, how are you going to fit in there? Would anybody say that? Because you would, you would understand that that's just a model. Anybody ever watch Zoolander? I'm kind of ashamed to say I have, but... There's a part where they bribe him with building a library because he wants a library at the end because he's a model. It's a whole silly thing. But at some point, they make the model of the library, and he's kind of a dense character, and there's a little spoiler alert here. And they say, we're going to give you this library if you do X, Y, and Z for us. And then he crushes the model and goes, what do you think? I'm stupid. I'm not an ant. I can't live in there. I can't go there. How many get what he's doing there? He took it so literal. Well, that's what they're doing here. If I take you to the condominium association, and there's a big model right here, and I asked the realtor, where's, uh, you know, condo 203? And they go, it's right there. And then I point to it and I go, hey, guys, this is where I'm going to live. Do you literally think I'm going to live right there? No, because what did the Bible already say? Thinking about ceremonial foods is strange. If you think that is what's going to change you, even communion can fall under that. That's not what does it. So they're confused. How are we going to eat this man's flesh? Jesus said, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up. My flesh is real food. Somebody say real food. And my blood is real drink. And see, right here, everybody gets excited. Well, I'm going to really eat it. Keep going. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of my Father. So anyone who what? Feeds on me will live because of me. Hold on now. Now it's not just going to communion, is it? It's daily feeding on him. 
just like they ate manna. Watch this. This is the bread that came down from uh, heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. How many understand what it means to feed? Have you ever gone to the Catholic communion service and said, I got fed there, like you ate and kept eating? You weren't getting continually fed. You were fed a small portion, and then that was it. Is that a meal to you? Is that how they ate manna in the desert? Because you live off of that. Of course not. But what does the Bible say? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Keep going to verse 60. On hearing this, the disciples, they're confused. This is a hard teaching, man. How are we going to eat your blood? I mean, eat your flesh, drink your blood. What is going on? Aware that his disciples were grumbling. This is not even the Jews here. This is the disciples. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And they're like, of course, yeah, it offends us. We don't get it. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives what? The Spirit gives what? Life. The flesh counts for what? Nothing. Now read this together with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not what? Believe. Oh, but, but God's going to make me believe. I'm waiting for God to make me believe. No, this is not make-believe. This is your choice to believe. What do you have a choice to believe? That when you eat the Word of God, you're eating the life of God every single day by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Going back to our notes quickly in closing, notice this. The Hebrew people didn't have that. But what did they have? They had an altar. They had the meat that was being sacrificed. They had their high priest. They had all of those things, but did they have life? Did they have life? No, because they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have Jesus. Now, at some point, the old covenant worked for whoever wanted to work it. But I'm talking specifically to the people here in uh, our book of Hebrews where he says, they who minister at the altar have no right to eat at our altar. Did they have any life? No. They didn't have the life of God. Now ask yourself this question. If it was true, if you could look at the Jewish temple and see them go through all of those ceremonies and yet it count for nothing, what do you think is going on in many of our churches today? Come on. Daryl, would you come please? Because I want to close with this. We'll get to the rest by God's grace in the following week, so please keep coming. But everybody get this. If the disciples were confused, how much more are we confused? If people in the Catholic Church literally think they're eating body and blood, if they're confused, what do you think we're confused over? We don't even know why we're taking the communion to begin with. Why do you think you, if you're not taking the, they're confused about it being the real body and blood of Jesus, right? Okay, so yeah, shame on them. They should know better, right? But why do you take it? Well, I just do this to remember Jesus. And? And what are you remembering? Oh, that he died on the cross. Okay, and? And what? Oh, he rose from the dead. And? He gave me life through his word that I'm supposed to feed on by his spirit every day. When you take that little bit of communion and you feed on it, it's to be a remembrance that Jesus died, buried, rose again, sent his spirit so that daily you feed on the grace of God. It's not that we stop eating. It's we change our diet. 
They were looking at ceremonial foods and thinking, wow, look at me. I'm eating a ceremonial food. I'm special. I'm special. And the Bible says, no, that's not what makes you special. It's the grace of God. And all the Protestants go, yay, here I am. I can come to a casual church, have a cool pastor, listen to cool music. I'm glad I don't go to the St. Mary's anymore. Okay, great. But are you feeding on the grace like how they fed on the communion? Because there are some Catholics that will go every day to Mass. you know of any? My grandma was like that. They'll go every day to keep getting their fill because they're hungry for God, aren't they? And the Jewish people, boy, they'll keep having their feasts and their festival, their feasts and their festival. You ever see how big and, 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 and amazing that calendar is? No wonder so many people jump into Jewish cults, man. They get to do all of those parties all the time. Hey, what are we doing now? We're doing Feast of Booze. Okay, what's coming up? Feast of, uh, of, of Passover. Okay, what comes after that? Yom Kippur. Then what comes after that? Oh, we're going to do this. And they just try to keep their life busy on that because they want a festival. But what does Jesus say? He is the festival. He is the feast. You're supposed to be eating on him every single day. And yet we got Protestants, Christians, who were handed a Bible by the blood of the martyrs who won't even read it this week. They do surveys to see who reads the Bible and most people don't even read the Bible once a week. And those who do will only spend five to ten minutes reading this. No, you're, you're missing this. You're still in elementary school. Not to be offensive, but come on. You don't get it. This right here, gentlemen, is more important than the stats of the Cubs trying to make it to the World Series. This right here, young people, is more important than the entrepreneurship you're wanting to gain from those Instagram uh, influencers. Moms and dads, this is more, import more important than what you're giving your kids just in how to make iguelas, fajoles, and mama's Greek rice from the mother country, these are your recipes. These are your traditions. But when was the last time you passed them down, right? We'll spend all of our time, think about this, we'll spend all of our time, sports, entertainment, on our jobs, going to school, we take that serious. And sometimes, you know, I, I know we're a great church here, thank you, I wouldn't want a, a different congregation. But sometimes, like I said earlier on, I can always feel the vibe. It's kind of like, Pastor, it's boring, man. I mean, this is our text for the day. We're learning about ceremonial foods. That's where we're going? Okay, how is he going to make this fun for me? Oh, in the altar, in the tabernacle? Yeah, right, come on. And I'm working up here. I love my job, but, but, but trust me, I get that some of you get disconnected from that. Well, you want to know why? It's because you don't understand how important it was for those Christians at that time to know what they had. Sometimes I, I look at Christians coming to this church, and I'm like, do you know what you have? Like young people, man, do you know what you have? You have the chance to talk to the God of the universe. Every day, you have the chance to talk to the one who made the stars. People are spending their whole lives, think about this, going to school to study what? Just one part of God's creation. Oh, man, I want to be a botanist. I want to study plants. Oh, man, I want to be a biologist. I want to study life. Oh, I want to be an oceanographer. When I used to live in New Orleans, I would visit the beach in, in the area there, and there was always the classes there. I think they were coming from Pensacola University or whatever, and they would be out there in their boats, you know, studying the marine life. Oh, I want to study this. I want to My friends, do you study God? Do you study the one who made life? Because this is where it's at. 
And guess what? When we do, what does Jesus say we have? If we can go back to that quickly in closing. When we have his words, we have the life. John chapter 6, going to verse 50. We have his life. Right there, thank you. Just, yeah, keep it right here, 60, as, as a matter of fact. Notice what it says. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of what? They are full of what? They are full of spirit and they are full of what? Life. Spirit and life. Everybody say spirit and life. Quickly, think about it. When was the last time you studied this? Daily. Those of you who are doing it, awesome. Keep it up. Are you going to the Bible studies? Are you going to the discipleship? Because this is what we need. And then in closing, think about this. Who are you giving this to? Because if that's what he was talking about was communion, then what do I do? Think about it. I mean, let's take it really literally. If I had the body and blood and the soul of Jesus in my communion, what's the first thing you would want to do with it? Go out there and give it to the world. Like if I really was a Catholic and I believed that, I would say to the priest, what do you do with the leftover? And you'll know what they do. They have special you know, precautions to not disrespect it. What they'll do with it. Sometimes they'll eat it themselves or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have certain precautions and things that they'll do. You know what I would say? It's give it to me. I want to go on the street. Hey, does anybody need life today? Does anybody want the soul of Jesus today? Here it is. Come and get it. Wouldn't you do that really if you were a Catholic who cared? But now ask yourself this as a Christian. Do you go to your schools, young people? Do you go to your jobs, brothers and sisters, and go, anybody need life here today? Anybody going to the weed dispensary this weekend and you want to know what real life is? Anybody here just got back from the partying weekend and you're still a little bit hungover from what you did? Does anybody need to get full on the life of God? How dare we hide this under a bushel? How dare we keep it to ourselves? The Bible calls it like our manna. In the days of the, of the Israelites, when they would collect that manna, if they tried to keep it overnight, it got stale, didn't it? They had to eat it that day and they never had to worry about it running out. And yet I got Christians getting obese on the Word of God. Yeah, you growing your belly. Oh, I want to go to this church to grow. You better get ready to grow them muscles because we ain't growing bellies here. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, because people want to do that all the time, don't they? Oh, I'm growing, I'm growing. Yeah, you're growing your belly. Obese Christian. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you invited a neighbor over to your house? When was the last time you went out and did something for somebody and preached the gospel to them? That's how you stay in spiritual shape is when you take this word and you bring it out to other people and go, I believe this is life. This is the life that will change you. I would never, brothers and sisters, dare to make a promise to somebody that I couldn't keep. I think as a pastor, and especially as a Christian, that's, that's your integrity. But I look at drug dealers and drug addicts alike, and I say, this will change your life. I look at moms, and I look at kids, and I say, this will change your life. Come on. I look at the men, and I look at the teenage boys right here, and I say, this will change your life. Don't get caught up on ceremonial foods. Don't just say you came to church today and you were good. Don't say, man, you just worshiped a few songs and you were good. No, go to the Word of God. Now look at verse 65. He went on to say, that is why I told them that no one can come to me unless the Father uh, enables them. Now you think at this point, everybody would get it and go, okay, I, I understand, Jesus. You don't want me to be a cannibal. You don't want me to be a religious Jew. You want me to feed on your Word. I get it. You want me to come to your spirit and get life. I get it. 
No, what happened in verse 66? From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What chapter of John are we in? What verse is it? Six, six, six. You know the scariest thing in life is not the devil. It's you and I walking away from God because we don't think we need him. The devil can't send nobody to hell, and God can't make anybody to go to heaven. Sorry, Calvinist, I'm helping today. Listen, the devil can't make you go to hell and yank you into hell, and Jesus can't drag you into heaven. You know what we're learning here is that that moment they decided to have something else other than Jesus. Oh, okay, so let me get this. You're not promising me my life's going to be easy. You're not going to give me a bunch of religious ceremonies that I can look cool in front of my friends and do in my culture. Okay, so really what this is, is it's just going to be me learning from you and eating your word, and that's, that's what you're offering? I don't need that. Man, if I wanted that, I got a hundred philosophers to choose from. If I wanted that, I got a hundred gurus and influencers to go, go to. See, people overlooked what Christianity was really always about. Christianity was never about our rituals. So Christmas and Easter, it's all, you know, it's all going to be coming up. The holiday season again, Thanksgiving. It goes Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then you get ready for New Year's. And then after New Year's, you're waiting for the spring to come, you know, Easter. Oh, my, no, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. Now look at what he said. He looked right at him and said, you want to leave? Because a lot of these guys are leaving. You want to leave me too? Jesus asked the 12, and notice what Peter says in response. I love Peter's heart. How many hearts of Peter do I have here today? Come on. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? You have the words of what? Eternal life. You can't get that at a ceremonial food. One time I was invited by the Hare Krishnas to eat Pashadam with them at their, uh, their shrine. And I wouldn't recommend it, you know. It's a pagan fe festival. They had their God and their idol up there, and they were all dancing around the thing. I, I literally thought like I was in the Bible times, like the prophets of Baal, you know. You're like, what did you do, Pastor? I just spoke in tongues. That's what I did. And then after the celebration was over, I sat down and I ate the meal, and I prayed over it. I rebuke every demon in this food in Jesus' name, and I'm going to eat it. So I'm sitting there eating with them, and they're just having the time of their life but I was empty on the inside. Their gods were empty. Their dancing and singing was empty. And even though my belly got a little bit full on that rice and some of that good Indian food, I was empty on the inside. And I couldn't wait till I got back in my car and I put on a worship album and I started feeding on the word of God as I worshiped him. And I go, oh yeah, that's it. That's what I need. It's not drugs, it's not perversion, and it's not other religions. Peter understood it's Jesus. It's the words of Jesus. And that's why when I look at my Roman Catholic friends, I know they're not Hindus in that way. I know they're not like that. Many of them, I believe, can go to heaven. They, a lot of them do love Jesus. But I look at them with all their ceremonies. I look at them with all their traditions. And I go, I wonder just how many are hungry on the inside. I think about Pastor Berto. Would you come up here? Let's give it up for the man of God, the Aztec warrior. Band, would you come up quickly in closing here? I think about Pastor Berto who had just left a Catholic retreat. How old were you when you attended that Catholic retreat? 
21. 21 years old, and here I'm about the same height as you finally right now. I always look up to Pastor Berto. This is the man I look up to. 21 years old. Can you grab him a mic, please? And a friend from baseball, Adolfo Alvarez, invited you to our church. And we used to have the sanctuary facing that way. Thank you. And so this was the back of the sanctuary. And you began to tell me a little bit about your journey, that you were hungry. And you had went to that Catholic retreat. And it felt like that was the right direction. Jesus was the way to go. But it hadn't connected yet. But you could smell that the meal was being prepared. What did we talk about back there and what happened in your own words at the back of the church that day? Uh, you're referring to when you explained to me John 3. Yeah. Yes. In your own words, how would you describe what happened? Uh, it was actually on that side. No, this is when the church was facing that way. We were right back here, my brother. Oh, we were? Yeah, okay. the church used to face this. That's why I just said, okay. yeah. Sorry, I know I what you're confused. thinking. You're thinking we were in that corner. Yeah, that corner okay. was this corner if we're facing that okay. way. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. You, you, it was the time where you sat down with me yep. and Ishmael and Ricky? No, just with you right here. Oh, just here when we were breaking down the communion. No. Or was it John 3? I'm so sorry if I put this spot. The day I led you to the Lord, my brother. That day. Yes. The day you led me to the Lord was over there, bro. Yes. It was not over there. The yeah, stage. The, the screen was there and the stage was here. No, we were back. Oh, you're talking about at the altar call. No, no, no. It was. It was let us have here. an argument out right here. Bro, <laughs> for real, dude. When I led you to the Lord, it wasn't at an altar call. It, it was it was after service by the back of the church, not at the front of the church. You remember me doing it by the front of the stage? It was at a Wednesday night. Yes. Bible we, we got that the same. Yes. And okay. we were back here in my mind. Okay, back here. In but my I, have mind, more, I have a lot more gray hair but than anyways, you. Anyways, that doesn't matter. But I Forget about the location down. now. John 3, 3. What did I say to you about John 3, 3? If I have been born again or not. There we go. Okay, we're back at it now. Spiritual moment. <laughs> Spirit, back to the spiritual moment. Heaven's going to settle that argument, That's by right. the way. I know. We were getting old. We've been together for a... Do you remember what year that was? Uh, 2007. Okay. It's going to be Tuesday, this Tuesday, September 26th. Wow. How many years yeah. is that going to be? Uh, 16. Let's give it up for 16 years of serving Jesus. It's okay if two old guys forget the location, <laughs> but tell them what happened next. That's the most important. You're right. No, yeah. So Pastor Joe asked me if I have been born again, and then he opened up the scriptures. He went to John 3, 3, and he read to me, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm like, at that, at that moment, I'm just feeling Jesus, to be honest. Like, I came hungry. That's one thing for sure. Like, I, I wanted Jesus. I wanted all that Jesus had for me. And uh, he led me to Jesus. We prayed, and I repented of my sin. I remember renouncing my sin, and along with you and the other elders. Amen. And at that moment, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but coming from that Catholic retreat, yeah. would you say... You went from like the appetizer, the aroma of the food, to eating the meal. I mean, how would you describe from what they offered you, yeah. the ceremonies, the traditions, the helping you see that there was a yeah. God, his name was Jesus, the Trinity, all these things were true. Yeah. But then when you became born again, what would you say was the difference? The difference, yeah. to be honest, yeah. was the accountability, discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. So just walking 
like having uh, uh, people walking along with me to make sure like, hey, I'm living out God's word. Like you're eating it every day. I'm eating it every day. It's just not a ceremony yes. at a certain time. That makes my, sense. The word of God is being filtered in through me in my daily life. Amen. So, Let's give it up for yeah. Pastor Berto. Amen. Yeah. Would you all stand up with me, please? Yeah, yeah we got to figure that out, man. We got to figure out where we were standing. Altar workers, would you come, please? Come see Pastor Berto today if you want to pray about maybe leaving a traditional background. Thank you. How many were raised in a Christian tradition where it was a lot of ceremonies, a lot of procedures? Anybody else? Nobody really? How many went to church as a young person? Did anybody go to church? A few of you? Did things change as you got older and you found a relationship with God? Right? That can even happen in a church like this. Monica, let's have you come up. Let's give it up for Monica. I want to hear her story. Monica actually, thank you, did not grow up in a Catholic church. Monica grew up in a church that rented this building with us. Come on up here. I wish we could put up the picture from when we first knew Monica. How old, how old were you when I got to meet you? We're talking probably 2005-ish, 2006. So that would be, what, 16 years ago? No, am I doing math right? Yeah, so we're talking 05. Nancy, how long ago was 05? 18 years ago. So I now just, let's do the math with your age. I just turned 30, so that's 12. You were 12 years old. Yeah. Okay, so you're growing up in a church, 12 years old. Great dad, I met your family. What changed in your life? What made it go from your parents bringing you to church to, I think, uh, Javier saying coming back, what, in 2018, you said? Yeah, what made you want to come back? You know, you know, start living for Jesus. What, what was the difference? And what was it like when you were out in the world? What were you doing? In other words, tell us your testimony. <laughs> okay, my testimony. I grew up going to church. Um, probably I started at the age of seven. And um, I would hear of Jesus, but I never really had my own personal encounter. I would go because my parents would take me. That I really believe I could say no, reflecting back no. Um, I went to high school and I started questioning things like, is Jesus the true religion and what is the truth? And so I went into the world looking for answers and there was nothing out there. I went to college and same thing, just trying to be, I guess, rebellious. Like I, I didn't believe what I was hearing because I never really tried to learn or understand who God was. Mm. And it wasn't until Take your time and thank you for sharing this. In 2017, well, 2016, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And I remember saying like, my mom was a faithful servant, and I was mad. And I said, God, like, how are you going to take her? So I was angry. And then in 2000, um, after she passed, um, since I knew Sister Rosa when I was little, <laughs> God used her to invite me to... Um, Easter Sunday after my mom passed. Mm. 
And I said, okay, God, I have nothing left. I have nothing to live for. Show yourself to me. And he did. The Lord started working in me. He started, I started experiencing things that I've never experienced, seeing things that I've never seen personally. It wasn't just because people were telling me. It wasn't just because you know, they weren't just words anymore. I was, I was living what I, was, what I would hear. Mm. And I believed. You know, I, I wanted to see it. I wanted to believe it. And I asked the Lord to just change my mind, change my heart, change me. So when I came to the Lord, I... I That was the first time I, I actually can say that I experienced God and, and, and I had that encounter with him. Wow. Can we just give it up for the Lord? That's powerful. I want you just to stay up here because to tie it in with what we were saying, you know, someone might say, well, I was, I was raised Catholic like a birdo, so I understand ceremony and it was, you know, not alive in my heart, but you were raised in a church, man, it was alive, and they would clap, it was a typical Latino Pentecostal church clapping and shouting and all that, but you hadn't con come to that table yet, and taken the bread of Jesus and eaten it, and he had said, anyone can come, but you hadn't taken your seat there, but it took those hard times for you to come, and now all of these years later, mom's still not here, everything uh, didn't just become rainbows, but you saw there was always that table and you can eat from the Lord's word. Would you recommend to anyone here today, even some of the church kids, that they do it now and not wait until things get hard? How would you put it in your words to say, it's time to eat from the Lord's word today? How would you say it? There's nothing in the world that can satisfy you. Yeah, come on. There's nothing like all these heartaches and hardships could have been prevented, I could say, mm. if I had chosen to follow the Lord at an early age. Amen. Amen. One more time. Thank you, Monica. Would you give it up for the Lord? Would you stand right here in case anyone wants that today? Let's, let's close in prayer and, and then we'll dismiss. Father, I thank you for a great word from your word today that tells us not to look to ceremonial foods but to look to your amazing grace to not be envious of what others have had with their temples and ceremonies but come to this altar and to eat the altar that you shed your blood on the mercy seat and to eat of your word oh god which gives us spirit and life with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus yet, would you ask him right now to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Ask him to be the chef of your soul, to prepare a meal for you that never ends. And ask him right now to forgive you of your sins because he will. Just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Feed my soul, oh God. Change me. And he will right now. For the rest of us who are already Christians, would you just raise up your hands and say, oh God, give me your word. Give me your word, God, that has spirit in life. 
Maybe you're struggling today with a sin or a temptation, and you don't want to, you know, be embarrassed. You don't want to be ashamed, but you have to be honest and say it's not always easy living for God. Ask Him right now to give you the manna of heaven, to give you the power to overcome and to fill your soul with good things. A few moments right now, and just let those prayers lift up to heaven because He loves us. He cares about us. It's not that He takes away the hunger. He just gives us the real food. I'm still just as hungry for a good time as I was when I did drugs, except I look for my pleasures in Jesus. I'm still longing just as much for acceptance as I did in the days when I tried to oppress my peers, but I look for my acceptance in God. Today I get tempted in all of those ways, just like I was when I was younger, but I bring them to Jesus. Jesus, fill my soul today with your spirit. Come on, we don't need communion. We don't need just a simple religious uh, ceremony. We need the Word of God to come to us with His Spirit in life. A few more moments right now. A few more moments right now as you guys get ready to sing, Bread of Heaven, fill me too, I want no more. Then we'll dismiss, but just right now, prayer is what will bring this close to you so that you don't leave out the same way that you came. There is a joy that will come upon you, a joy that will fill your soul and make you whole today. Do not let go of the promises of God. A few more moments. A few more moments, and we're going to sing an old classic song together. Brother, would you put up the lyrics, Bread of heaven, fill me till I want no more. But right now, just pray and lift up your voice to heaven, saints. Lift up your voice to heaven. Don't leave out here empty. Don't leave out here the same way you came. You can't blame it on me. You can't blame it on a church. You can't blame it on a ceremony. It's between you and God. There's a plate put before you right now. If you want it, it's up to you. In bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole come on sing it out if they don't have the lyrics bread of heaven bread of heaven feed me till i want no more here's my cup fill it up and make me now that everybody's got out their phone stop overthinking it guys come on it's a simple song Bread of heaven, let's get the lyrics on the screen. If we can't, everyone listen. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Everybody got it? Now sing it out with me. Bread of heaven, feed me. Feed me till I Here's my cup. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me. You can sing it like that. Come on, a few more times, Saints. You need to learn these old songs. Bread of heaven. So you're a little bit off, but you'll get it. Let me help you, sister. Just follow me right here. Just you and me. Just you and me. Bread of heaven. Feed me. Till I want. We don't need the keys. We don't need the keys, guys. 
Let me just help you. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Few more times, saints. I believe God will bless us if we understand these words. Bread of heaven. It's an old song. Feed me. But it's a simple lyric. And I believe if you catch it, you'll be able to move in it. Fill it up and make me One more time. Listen to me sing it, sister. I know it might be hard for you. It's okay. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Father, I pray that that song has, let me just say this as we get ready to pray here. That song has encouraged me so many times throughout the years. And so, Father, I pray right now that that song, as awkward as it was, would come across to the spiritual level to people here today before they go. Lord, because you have showed me that K-Love songs can't be sung when you're going through your worst times because the melodies and the rhythms and the lyrics are so complicated. Lord, I pray that lyrics like that will comfort people at funerals, at hard times. Lord, when they're facing the things of this world and they don't know how to put together a whole song and a whole ministry of music, Lord, I pray it will impact them as it impacted me. One more time, brother. If you want to try to play it with me, that's okay. If not, I want us to sing it, but I want us to understand the lyrics. It is the heart cry of saying, here I am. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Because think about that. Everywhere we go, they say, this is all you can have. Even all you can eat joints will cut you off at some point. You can't live at the restaurant. And yet Jesus says, you can have all that you want. Think about that. And then that idea of here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. There is no other place in this world where you and I will ever be made whole except at the feet of Jesus. Now, once again, it may be hard for some of you to learn. I don't know if there's a complication here, but I'm just going to sing it again if my brother wants to play with me. But I'm, I felt inspired to give you this even to this extent of the awkwardness because some of you, I'm telling you, you need to know how to interact with God this way. You need to know how in your hardest times, when you don't know the whole song from the radio, just be like, God, fill me up till I want no more bread of heaven, feed me. Think about that. Think about what you're saying. Bread of heaven, feed me. Just feed me, Jesus. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me one more time. I think we got it. Bread of heaven, feed me. I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up. Father, thank you for this service. 
Thank you for the lyrics of a song handed down from generation to generation. And Lord, thank you for a revelation that can help Roman Catholics, help church kids, and help us all, even like Peter said, to come to you and say, where else can we go, God? You have the words of eternal life. We're sticking with you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord today? God bless you. How about you pick a song you do feel comfortable with? Feel free to worship. Otherwise, come up and receive prayer. For those of you who are looking for that song, it's just Bread of Heaven. You can find it online, and it's popular among the gospel singers. Have a great day. Worship band, go ahead and lead us. Those who need prayer for anything, come on up. We love you. We want to lift up the word of the Lord in your life today. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like nobody gets you. Just come up and let us pray for you because you're not alone today. Today, God is with you, and you have the chance to have an encounter with God. So don't leave out here. Come on, don't leave out here until you have that encounter. I don't know about you, but I don't leave a restaurant until I'm full, until I got what I came for. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Bless those coming forward.